Welcome to Jersey Justice, a civil law podcast that shares practical tips and stories about personal and workplace injuries. Join two of the brightest New Jersey injury attorneys, Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, as they take you behind the scenes of justice and civil law. But first, a quick disclaimer. The information shared on this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing on this site should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And we are back for another episode. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about workplace injuries. Today, I'm super excited to be here with Cheryl Clark and Mark Morris from Clark Law Firm in New Jersey. So stay tuned. I want to go ahead and welcome Gerald. And we're going to start with him. And I'm going to ask him, you know, to give us a little bit of that history of the topic of workplace injuries in New Jersey. And what does the audience need to know? All right. What's up, Dimple? It's uh, super fun to be here again today. So, so yeah, let's talk about workplace injuries and what it matters. I want to kind of talk about this more in terms of what people that work on construction sites or work in factories or work in hospitals, what they might be interested about, even if they haven't been involved in an injury, maybe they've seen it and hopefully they haven't been injured themselves. But I want to kind of make it a little bit interesting or give some background about the whole history behind it, even beyond, you know, law and and injury kind of thing. So to go back around the turn of the century in the late 1800s, the early 1900s in America, we had the Industrial Revolution, basically where the economy in the United States transferred from farming and moved more towards cities and industry. And when it started out, there was really no regulations. There was no workplace injury standards to prevent people from getting hurt on the job. And there were some really horrific conditions by today's standards. It's similar to the food industry. The food industry was very unregulated in the early 1900s, late 1800s, along with that industrialization. And there was a book that was written called The Jungle. And The Jungle exposed a lot of the, you know, really gross things that would go on in food factories, which led to laws and regulations to make sure our food supply was, was safe. Jump in for the Jeopardy answer, if I can. Was that Upton Sinclair? Yeah. Jungle? Yes, it was. And going back on mute. So for example, like when they built the Lincoln Tunnel in New York, between New York and New Jersey under the Hudson River, many, many people died. When they built the Empire State Building, many iron workers fell to their deaths. You know, it was just commonplace. So in 1970, the President Nixon signed into law the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which was basically meant to provide safe and health working conditions for anyone working in America. One of the things that led to that, there was a thing called the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory incident, which was in the fashion district in Manhattan, New York. And they didn't want the people taking breaks and they wanted to make sure all the workers were working and stayed on the factory floor for many hours a day. And then a fire broke out and no one could get out of the building because the doors were locked to the stairwells. So hundreds, I believe it was hundreds of people died. And that was one of the impetuses that led to the passage of this statute. So the key, the key thing as far as- I interrupt you and say, I actually remember studying that in school. 
I remember that learning that in school many years ago. That's cool. What did you learn about it? I just remember the story of they were trapped and they couldn't get out. Like that, just a story like coming back to me. I don't know if it was in elementary school, high school, college, but I remember the story of like they were trapped and because the doors, they couldn't get out. Like then how it just, it's ringing a bell. Yeah. Jerry, yeah. same thing, not to cut your flow off, but with I, I have have no flow, just go. You've got plenty of flow. It's flawless. But back to the jungle, like the up to Sinclair, I jumped in because I, you know, I was an English major. I'm like, wow, I know who this author is. But I remember that was about, you said the food industry, I think it was like the meatpacking industry. Yeah. And it was like an expose that as there were no regulations, there was no legislation basically making sure that I guess this food industry was regulated and things were done safely. They were finding like body, human body parts in the meat that was getting sent out. And because there was no governing, I guess, act or anything that cared about that, this type of thing just went on and on. Yeah, I guess the history of it is just part of society progressing. And a lot of people will, you know, complain about regulations and oh, there's too many regulations, but, you know, and, and that may be true in some areas, but it's nice to know that our planes are regulated. So when we go flying and, and our food's safe and that there's protections for workers on job sites. But going back to the introduction, so the main law is the OSHA workplace safety law. And it addresses like all parts of a construction site. So there's rules about ladders on job sites. If there's trenches being dug, the trench has to be protected if it's over four feet or if it's likely to collapse because trenches on job sites, and they dig trenches to put in lines or sewer lines or gas lines, and they can collapse on workers and crush them, suffocate them. If they're up on heights, any worker above six feet has to have fall protection. And the whole crux of this thing is when you have a work site, ordinarily you'll have a general contractor that runs the job site and they hire all the subcontractors like the plumber, the electrician, the masonry people, the, the carpentry, and they generally have the power and the control on the job site because they can hire and fire the subcontractors and they can set the rules of the road on the job site. So the OSHA law and the safety standards, because there's standards beyond OSHA, there's standards from the National Safety Council, General Contractors of America, and several other three safety groups. The crux of it all is that the general contractor has to enforce safety on the job site from the top down. So they can't say, oh, well, we relied on the subcontractor to do their own safety because the way it works on a job site is it's kind of like the totem pole and the general contractor would just say, well, I left this up to the subcontractor to enforce safety. And then the subcontractor will say, oh, well, I left it up to the sub-subcontractor, the guy I hired to do the work to enforce safety. And then that person will say, well, I relied on the employee that got hurt to follow the safety rules. But the thing is, on job sites, safety, it takes time and it costs money. So like if you're going to put trench protection in a trench, that takes time and it slows down the job. And everyone knows in construction that time is money. And if you're going to make roofers wear fall protection, then it takes time. And also part of all that is the workers have to be trained. There has to be like a safety culture. It has to be enforced. And it has to be a situation where workers are free to complain about safety and say, hey, I don't feel comfortable here doing this without losing their jobs. And that's kind of the whole crux of it all. So that's kind of the history of it. That's kind of like the background of it. And when when we look at a case, you know, 
most often when there's an injury on a job site, from what we have seen, it's because the general contractor is not following safety rules. And what happens is if the general contractor is hiring subcontractors that don't follow the safety rules, the subcontractor can, they can bid the job cheaper and get the job cheaper. So if they can bid the job cheaper, they're more likely to get the work. And then what happens is it causes like a race to the bottom. So if I'm going to be a responsible contractor and follow the safety rules, I'm going to get outbid by the guy that's not doing it. And then it's going to cause a race to the bottom and it's going to make job sites really safe. And it's unfortunate because if you drive around, for example, New Jersey, and you drive around residential construction projects, I've almost never seen a New Jersey construction project, a residential construction project where the OSHA safety rules are not being violated. And it's unfortunate because it's putting workers at risk and workers, they get really badly injured. You know, when you fall 10 feet, you know, from a second story or you fall off a roof 20 or 30 foot, it's not going to be pretty. And it's, and it's unfortunate and it's sad. And a lot of guys that are working on these sites in those conditions, they really don't have any kind of like meaningful choice. They have to do it. If they complain about safety, they just won't get picked up for work the next day. And I'm not saying this is in every case, but it's in many, many cases that we've seen. And it's an unfortunate thing. So if that happens and people come to us, like as attorneys and stuff, there's certain things that that we want to do to investigate the case and gather the evidence necessary to protect the rights of the injured worker, you know, in court. Okay. All that I hope that wasn't too long winded. No, no, no. That's that's actually great. And I think it's, you know, it's great for our audience because one of the goals of, of having the show is to educate them on workplace injuries and the whole process of, of the system, because, you know, this is something that even if people, they're not injured, people like to listen to legal podcasts. They want to know how the system works and what's involved, what the laws are. So Jerry, you mentioned that there were a lot of violations that were happening. What are some of the most common violations that you would say you notice like on these construction sites that you're mentioning? Well, there's a, there's a government agency called the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I believe, or the Bureau of Vital Statistics, and they provide a lot of data for OSHA. So OSHA is the, it's part of the Department of Labor. It's a presidential cabinet. It's the Secretary of Labor. They're part of the president's cabinet, and they're the head of the Department of Labor, and the Department of Labor is in charge of enforcing the OSHA rules. So when they look at the country and they say, okay, well, what are the biggest problems? What are the things that are causing the injuries? They'll often turn to, I believe it's the Bureau of Vital Statistics or Bureau of Labor Statistics. And they keep statistics on this kind of thing. And falls is probably the most frequently cited OSHA violation. So when workers are on scaffolding, the bosses aren't enforcing that the scaffolding has guardrails. Or if workers are putting roof, roofing material on the top of a roof on new construction, the workers have to be protected with a harness and a shock-absorbing lanyard attached to an anchorage point that can hold 5,000 pounds. So really, that's a long way of saying falls are probably one of the most frequently cited safety violations by OSHA and the most frequent things that we see in these cases where, where good people that are trying to support a living for their families are getting needlessly hurt on these sites. Yeah, and Dimple, we... We did our first podcast yesterday. I'm not sure how they're going to be released. If, you know, I could say it was a go, but as an officer of the court, we did our first podcast yesterday and we're walking out and I was talking to Jerry. Anything I'm going to say about construction cases, I have learned from him 
And, you know, this is the only personal injury law firm I've worked at. But in terms of how we prosecute construction cases and specifically how Jerry does construction cases, I don't think there's many other firms out there that do it like we do. He is so thorough. And I talked about yesterday, the first time we sat down and went and had lunch. And he talked to me the first time we were ever together. The Constitution doesn't protect just citizens. The Constitution protects all people in the United States. And that was in the context of talking about how workers come here. And I think general contractors, companies think, I can throw this guy up on the roof. Who cares if he gets hurt? And then lo and behold, he falls down, has a catastrophic injury. And Jerry is the first person to go to bat for for those guys and does a phenomenal job. This isn't even meant to be a sales pitch. I already have a, a job here, <laughs> so I'm not trying to hype him up, but it's just, it's the reality of it. So we can, again, just talk forever about these OSHA cases. And I think the main kind of crux of what Jerry was talking about with employers choosing time and and money, essentially they want the job done quicker. They want to save money. That's all at a worker's expense. It's all at the expense of, well, you know what, this guy up on the roof, I'm not going to slow the job down and spend, you know, $50 or whatever it is on fall protection, because the sooner I get this job done, the sooner I can move on to the next one. And in the long run, it ends up being more costly when a worker gets hurt. So in a perfect world, you know, OSHA would be followed. These contractors would take the steps to to enforce the rules and we wouldn't have workers getting hurt. And I'm sure Jared would be the first one to tell you that as well. But it just, you don't see it. You, you get in the car, you drive around, the, you know, roofing being done hear the nail guns going and you look and the only cord running up is from the air compressor. There's no fall protection and there's violations like that all over the state government. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. And, you know, that's really unfortunate, but, you know, that's why there's definitely, you know, a need for, for lawyers to be out there to protect people because the employers are not protecting their contractors, right? And they're going after the money. They're going after how can we you know, make more money? How can we get the job quicker so we can move on to the next job, which isn't the way that business should be conducted. But we know, I mean, there's the law in place and there's lawyers and law firms because people don't abide by the rules. They don't do things the way that they should. And I think that there's lots of law firms out there, lots of lawyers. And the fact that you're saying, I'm Clark Law Firm, the process is is different. The way that Jerry handles these cases and he does the due diligence and he does the research, you know, that really matters because sometimes, I mean, just in my opinion, as like a potential client, I was injured before I fell on New Year's Eve because the floor was slippery. I broke my wrist. I had to get a lawyer, right? And And it was because there was stuff on the floor. They didn't clean it up. They were negligent. It was dark, right? There's nothing indicating that there's a step that someone would not see. So things like that happen all the time. And when it comes to lawyers, there's some lawyers that they will not win the case. And that's because they are not putting in the time, the effort that it takes to really, you know, bring up the valid points, the evidence, everything that's required. And then there's other lawyers that go above and beyond. And sometimes you really have to pick your lawyer carefully when you hire them, you have to know what questions to ask to make sure that they are equipped to serve you at the highest level. That's my opinion as a consumer. I'll, I'll beat Jerry to it because I'm sure he's probably going to jump in and try and say the same thing. Like, we recognize we can lose cases. We can work a case 
exactly like we think we should and and we can we could still lose it we can't guarantee that we're going to go in and and win every case we can we prepared cases we fought perfectly and it, it's just the nature of the business you're not going to win every case but especially with these construction cases we act as a voice for people that otherwise really don't have a voice like jerry talked about the totem pole a lot of times it's maybe a non-english speaking individual they're paid a minimum wage cash you know they're scared that they're not gonna be able to feed their family jerry gave the example yesterday about i think it was the, the guy who was essentially blind and a step away from being homeless and you know we give these guys a fighting chance and we give them a voice and in these construction cases when you're going against giant insurance companies a lot of times it's giant construction companies that work all over the country or all over the state that's that's a lot more than i think most people get is getting that that voice i think you know a lot of it more than just giving them a voice i mean that's another way of saying that you know these guys get hurt a lot of them and they can't put food on the table you know and uh, they can get money through workers' compensation. They should, but that's another issue we can talk about. But really what we're trying to do is get them compensation to survive and, and to live. And, and often they can't go back to the job they did before. And often construction workers don't have the full-on education to get more of a desk job. So it is a voice, but it's also getting them money to make up for the harms and losses because contractors on the site made a decision to ignore the safety rules to maximize profits. And there's nothing wrong with maximizing profits and making money. That's not the situation. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you can't do it at the expense of needlessly putting the workers at risk. When you're running a job site, you have to follow the rules. I mean, everyone should follow the rules because if a company is not following the rules and getting the job, bidding the job cheaper, it's going to cause a race to the bottom and put pressure on all the other contractors to cut those same corners, which puts people at risk. And then it increases the cost to society that has to pay for those injuries. Yeah. And each each one of those OSHA rules, too, Jerry and I had a trial and this one OSHA expert that we we're using, he was getting cross-examined about one of the OSHA standards that was at issue in the case. And he, he pretty much pounded the table and said, sir... The OSHA rules are written in the blood of injured workers. It was really powerful. I'm, you know, I'm sitting there and he's advocating for our side, but it still was really impressive to hear. Jerry, I'm sure you, you remember that too. And you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now I remember that you brought it up and it's funny at when you do trials and that's important with, you know, not to talk so much about personal injury and lawyers, but if people are like looking for a lawyer for an injury case, you should ask them how many cases they've actually tried and how many cases they have actually taken to verdict because it's super important because, you know, you don't look at a case and say, here's the facts, here's the law, it's worth X. Because a big factor in what a case is worth is who your lawyer is. Some law firms have a business model of just taking volume. Sometimes we can equate it to like, you know, are you a McDonald's or are you a high-end steakhouse? You know, both will serve a burger, but one will be under one business model, another will be on another. So that's important. But when you try cases, I have found because we've won a lot of cases and we've also lost cases at trial. And sometimes when a trial is going well and you get this feeling that you're going to win, a lot of it is a lot of times you get these moments at trial that just you feel them in your gut, you feel them in your core 
that wow and and a lot of times you get you almost will get chills because it was super powerful and it was like super truthful and super passionate and believed and that example that mark gave you know because the defense lawyer at this at this osha workplace safety trial where a worker was backed up over working on a new jersey turnpike resurfacing project and the expert was being cross-examined. Our expert was being cross-examined by the defense lawyer that's coming up with all kinds of like legal technicalities. And you said the shirt was red, but it was actually maroon or, you know, with these, these making these distinctions that really don't mean anything. And a lot of times they'll do that to like distract the jury because a confused, distracted jury is good for insurance companies and good for the defense. And I remember our expert in that case cut through all that BS and just it all like was just thrown out the window when he came and like Mark said, he pounded the desk because it was all about preventing injury to workers. And the defense lawyer was cross-examining him on technicalities that really didn't mean anything. And he was getting upset because and this is an expert that is like volunteered in Haiti, advocated in El Salvador for injured workers and put his life at risk. And he really believes it. And he did that. He said the OSHA rules were, were written in blood. And what he meant by that is what I talked about in the introduction is all those people that died at the sh shirt, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory incident and the Industrial Revolution. And, and the rules were written based on all those things that happened. And that's what he meant by that. And that was super powerful. And we ended up winning that trial. Mark and I did that together. So six feet, you need fall protection. There's a reason that rule exists. You know, you don't get to be a contractor in a job and say, oh, I'm not going to make sure the employees have fall protection above six feet. I think that's stupid. You know, it's only six feet. There's a reason that they decided six feet was when you need fall protection. And as our expert said, probably involved workers' blood. We could talk for a long time about this stuff, but I think that's a really good kind of solid introduction. That's really like the base of what this is all about, because... Sometimes Congress gets things right, and sometimes Congress actually does stuff, and there's usually a, there's a reason behind it, and that's kind of really the whole base for all this, that whole history right there. Yeah, I mean, that history, I think, is really great to share because it's the foundation of how this was all established, and, you know, that history is what made the change happen. If it wasn't for that history, we wouldn't be sitting here today, so thank you for sharing that. And for our audience, we are going to be having a part two. We're going to go into the in-depth part about proper investigation and the evidence gathering process, because that's really, really important to know and be well informed on. But before we sign up for today, I want to see if Mark has anything else to share when it comes to, you know, giving us a preview of anything about proper investigation and that whole process before we move on. Each case is, is certainly unique. You'll have a similar kind of broad strokes from each one. But the biggest things I would say depend on at what stage the case comes to you. If it's something that had just happened, you want to try and get out there. If it's something that happened a year ago, there's different steps. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. So we can talk, it, I guess, as a preview, say pictures are worth a thousand words. And the more pictures, the more video we can have of a job site, the, the stronger the case is kind of from the, from the jump and witnesses matter. Yeah. And I think every case is unique, right? And every case deserves also a customized approach in terms of the legal strategy 
on how to go in on that case. And that's where, you know, a skilled attorney comes into place because they know exactly what strategy they're going to build for that case based on the evidence, based on the photos, based on, you know, what occurred and the circumstances. So thank you so much for sharing that. For our audience, definitely go ahead and subscribe right now because we're going to make sure that you don't want to miss out on our future episodes. A lot of things that we do here are going to be a part one of two or part one of four, like a series. And definitely share this out with all of your network, your friends, your family. So we will see you guys all on the next episode. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Jersey Justice Podcast. If you're loving what you're hearing, it's time to hit that subscribe button on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review online. Share this podcast with your friends and become their legal hero. Dive into more episodes at jerseyjusticepodcast.com or clarklawnj.com and check out our show notes for more information. If you're navigating legal issues and need a guiding light, we're just a phone call away. Call us at 1-877-841-8855. Again, 1-877-841-8855. Until next time, Jersey Justice Warriors, stay empowered and informed.